Okay. Well, we want to we want to continue with learning um, the Rambam. Hilchas Chovat. We're going to pick on two two halachas tonight, which are relevant to Chovat in general, and uh, provide us a little bit of direction for for Yom Kippur as to how to approach it. Now, very often when we are in the process of coming towards Yom Kippur and the topic of Tshuva comes up, it's surrounded with feelings which are inherently negative. Guilt, fear, anxiety. There's a lot of negativity very often associated with Tshuva and often the negativity is a reflection of, let's say, looking back into our own past and looking at the less than savory things that we perhaps have done to people or to Hashem. And as a result, it doesn't really engender a mood of happiness, of hope, of anticipation, but can become quite depressing. Agreed? Disagreed? Yeah. Yeah? yeah you with me? Good. So... The Gemara Tiny says that there were two days which were considered Yomim Tovim Yisrael, specifically good days. Days of, of Gishmak, Yom Tov, Yom Tov, Tuba'av, and Yom Kippur. In other words, in, in the eyes of Chazal, Yom Kippur is a festive and happy day. That's why we, we wear Yom Tov clothing, we can't eat, but at least we should dress up and we should celebrate. Essentially, Yom Kippur is a day of celebration. So I think there's an, in, there's an entire aspect of tshuva which is possibly the essential aspect which we completely miss out on. I want to begin with the Rambam and it's in the 10th parak. so on your uh, sheets it's the, it's the single column, not the double, double page, the single page, Perik Asiri. And if we go to Halacha Gimel there'll be a surprising definition of where Tshuva is meant to get you. The Rambam in Perik uh, Asir, it's the last Perik in Tshuva, he's telling us our destination. Imagine you want to go out traveling in a car. And you make sure that the car is filled with gas. And you make sure that it's been serviced. And you make sure it works perfectly. There's only one small problem. You have no idea where you're going. If you want to start Tshuva, you have to know, well, where's the destination? Where am I meant to go? If I succeed and accomplish my mission in doing tshuva, what will my life look like? How will it change? Very often we think about it in terms of will I be a better person. Look what the Rambam describes. Halacha Gimel. Says the Rambam. He's describing the level of tshuva that a person should get to. And he says it's talking about love that you should have for Hashem. The goal of tshuva is connection. Who knows what... Does anyone know what love is? Definition of love? Okay. Love is not giving. Maybe, maybe, Rav Desta says that love, giving brings to love. But what is the definition of love? Sorry? I like someone immensely. You've just... Appreciating virtues. Becoming one. 
notice qualities. The, the, the morale gives the definition of love, which. Good, I'm glad we sorted that out. Um, the the morale the gives the definition of love. His definition of love is chuka ha'oyev, chuka sa'oyev el hanehav. The desire, the tr- attraction, the pull of the lover to the beloved. The, what love is, it's when there's a connection that's being pulled towards. When you pull towards something, you love that thing. The things that you're pulled to are the things that you love. And the stronger the pull, the more intense the love. So the level of chuva we have to uh, get to arrive at is ha'avah ru'uya, the appropriate love. So love, you do. According to the definition, you love fish. You love going for a walk in the early mornings. You love your bed. You love your pillow. And if you do, you love your chocolate or your smoothie or whatever it is. You love lots of things. Anytime you pull towards something, that's a love. Now there's good loves and there's bad loves. Not all loves are good. But the definition of love, that's what happens. It's whether it's kodesh or that's what love is. Says the Rambam, the kaitzad ya'ava ru'ya. What is appropriate love? Who? Sheyahav es Hashem. You have to love Hashem. How badly do you have to love Hashem? How much do you have to love Hashem? Says the Rambam. Ava gedolah. That Ava has to be great. So you think the Rambam's finished? But he goes on. It's not enough that the Ava is great. The Ava has to be Yaseira. It has to be in excess, larger than. You think the Rambam would be finished by describing the power of the love? The Rambam says, Oza, powerful, ma'oid, more. He describes a state where it's almost hard to comprehend that kind of love. Until he says, Ad, Shetehei, until yourself becomes bound in the love of Hashem, you completely obsessed with it. It's filling your life the whole time. It's almost as if you're sick from love. You love sick. A man who's falling in love with a woman, he can think of nothing else. He thinks about her or thinks about him again and again and again. When he's sitting down. When he wakes up. While he's eating. And drinking. More than that. The people that love Hashem, the love that they have is greater than that love. That's Pshat in the Shema, which we say every single day. It's describing that state of complete and absolute, total and utter obsession. You become lovesick. That's all you can think about. You're completely possessed. That's where we're trying to get to. That's the goal of Shiva. If a person thinks that Shiva is that you go clap of hate and then I'm not going to speak Lashon Hara anymore and then I've done Shiva. Or whatever the avayah that we're suffering and we're trying. That's what the vote. The vote is this is what you have to get to. Now what does it mean? It means that the only reason we clap al chait, the only reason we do tshuva, 
It's not that we're doing tshuva to undo our, our veyras. We didn't shiver because we want to get to a state of connection. Problem. There's a problem. When you have a virus, you can't realize that state of connection. When a person is pulled in to another kind of life, so the subtleties of getting connected to the Creator are dulled. And you can't appreciate it. So there's a problem. The problem is that a virus our various separate us so we have to get rid of the various but not to get rid of the various we have to get rid of the various so we can realize this so we can become completely and totally possessed, obsessed, enamored taken up by the Ava of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. now that's really seems a little bit extreme seems to be that's our life that's what we're meant to be striving to and how can we even think about that? There's a Gemara to introduce, before you see the next halacha, there's a Gemara. Imagine you're walking, you manage to like, you walk out of Machon Raya and you go into the street. And generally the people you meet on the street are, they have these like, very round, like, those uh, super Yushalmi hats, long dangly payers. And amongst all these Yushalmers, there's this person, he's six foot four. He's wearing a tank top. 15-inch biceps, tattoos, all the way down, every side. Big fat tattoo around his neck. And he's holding three handbags that he's just stolen from three little old women. Okay? He's, he's not the most savory shidduch perspective you'd ever want. So you're walking out there and he's kind of looking a little bit lost and uh, he bumps into a young a young girl who's Tucker going on Shiduchim. Her name's Rochala. And he decides Rochala is his Zivuk. <laughs> now, clearly Rochala was perhaps aspiring for a different kind of husband. Um, and they get into a discussion and Rachel says, listen, you know, I don't know if our shkoffers are like totally, <laughs> totally aligned. Like, you're going to have to stop this robbing old woman stuff. And they get into discussion, and he says to her, you know, Rachel, I'm really sincere, and I'll marry you. She says, the only condition I'll marry you is the condition that you are tzaddik gomu. Okay? So, so this person, his name is, his name is, Brandon, thank you. Brandon, Brandon says to Rachela, Brandon says to Rachela, he says, don't worry, he says, he has, he has in his pocket a pruta that belongs to him that he hasn't stolen, Taka, it's the only pruta that he has, small shekel coin, and you can marry, you can marry, you can do a Maise Kedushin with money, and he takes this money, he calls in two kosher witnesses to these Chaim and Shmerel, they're standing next to there, they 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 actually quite quite upset about this prospective shidduch that's about to happen. But nevertheless, so he takes they take he takes his, his shekel and he goes to to Rachela and he goes, Hurry out. Mukudeshasli. No. <laughs> 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 
she can say no. She can't say no. She can say no. She can say no. Hey? She can say no. She can say no. She can say no. Don't worry. She can say no. She, she can say no. Don't worry. Okay. She, but you know, they had this discussion and she really is like, she wants him to stipulate. So he stipulates and he says, Harat Mugadeshasli, Bekesev Zeh, Almanas on the condition, Shani Tzadik, that I'm a Tzadik. Sorry? Tzadik Gomer. Shani Tzadik Gomer. What's the question of Gomer? Almanas Shani Tzadik. Not Tzadik Gomer, but it means Tzadik Gomer. It means Tzadik. It means Tzadik. So he marries her on the condition he's a Tzadik. Now he's not a Tzadik. He's not a tzaddik. You can see. You can see it by these little bags that he's got from these old women they robbed. What happens? And she accepts the condition. They married. Why they married? He's not a tzaddik. Says the Gemara. Almanashani tzaddik. Afilu. Afilu Rosha Gomur. Even if his name is Brandon, he's six foot four, he's got massive tattoos, and the handbags of three little old women in his hand who is just mugged. Tochkadei Dibur. Afilu Rosh Gomur. Mekudeshes. Mekudeshes. Why? Shema Hirher Tshuva Badaitoi. Maybe he had a machshava, a thought of Tshuva. So Repsodika Crane, this is Repsodika Crane. Repsodika Crane. He's written a book called Takonis Hashavim. Great book. <coughs> Reb Sadak, he writes an entire, an entire shtickle on this Gemara. And he says, from this Gemara you see that the Ikar of Tshuva is Machshava. Even though there are other things that are required for Tshuva, the Ikar of Tshuva is imagining a better self. The Ikara Tshuva is imagining yourself. Shemir B'Tshuva meaning you see yourself as a tzaddik. You want a different kind of life. You aspire to be something beyond. That's the source and that's the root of Tshuva. And when that's sincere, that's Tshuva. And that works. I'd like to illustrate it with a story which is related and we can learn an analogy from it. Uh, you probably know there's... there's you may, may have, may, some of you may have known the story. There's a, a person called Aaron Margalit. Okay, well, that's what happens. He's, he's a normal two-and-a-half-year-old. Little cute little kid, boisterous, fun, and he lived life like, like a two-year-old. He'd wake up in the morning, his mommy and daddy would be there for him, he'd eat, eat lunch and breakfast and supper with them, and he'd clothes beautifully stacked up in his little cupboard, lived in a small settlement in the, in the south called Tifrach in the 1950s. Perfect, idyllic life. It all changed dramatically one day. The settlement, Tifrach, they, they got a tractor. It's like very primitive back in the 50s. Tractors were a rarity. And they got a tractor. And there was one of the teenagers who decided to go for a spin on the tractor. Very unwise idea. Because he didn't know how to do it. So little Arada, he's playing in the sand. And all of a sudden... He has this noise behind him. He's a little two-year-old kid. He's never seen a tractor in his life. And all of a sudden, he has this huge noise. He's never heard anything this loud. And he looks behind him, and he sees this tractor speeding towards him. 
He doesn't know what to do. He gets up and he starts to run for his life. And as he's running and running, the tractor's getting closer and closer and closer. He doesn't know what to do. His heart is pounding. And at a certain point in time, just as the tractor's about to run him over, he falls into the ground. And then as he falls, the tractor goes straight off him. But he fell into a ditch and the tractor didn't touch him. But he comes out of that ditch shocked, traumatized and he goes and just cries and cries and his mother tries to comfort him and from that day onwards he becomes a mute. He loses his power of speech. And that was just the beginning of a set of tests that he had to confront. Two weeks later woke up in the morning, he's feeling fine but just before midday he starts to feel very weak. His mother goes over to him and she notices he has fever and she fears the worst. In the 50s in Israel, there was a polio epidemic. And polio is a horrible disease. It attacks the entire nervous system and there's, there's different strains. There's certain parts of polio which are, attack only the, the legs and there's more advanced stages of polio which can even attack the internal organs. And she was petrified. She knew a lot about medicine and looked that he had the symptoms of polio. So there was no cause. She gets a very hard mattress. She puts her, her, her weak son onto this mattress and she harnesses it to a, a, the cart, to a mule. And she goes to Beersheba, to the hospital. It was called Adas at the time. And she gets to the hospital and the, the doctors diagnose, without even any doubt, polio and he has to go to Tel Aviv to the hospital which is called Tel Levatinsky. Problem is, back in those days, no, amb- no ambulances, no medical transport. His mother's panicking. She, needs, she knows that he needs urgent care and as soon as possible. She runs around until she finds a truck driver. She pays him double wages to drive as fast as he can to this hospital. She drives him, he drives her to the hospital as he's entering the hospital gates, he's cradling him the whole time. The sick child in her hand. And as they enter the hospital gates, he loses consciousness. She quickly invis- the, the hospital's understaffed. There's a huge tumult going on. And she's trying desperately to find a doctor carrying her child around with her. Eventually she finds a doctor that will take care of her. He takes her. And in those days, there weren't life support systems like there are now. There was this gigantic metal contraption called the iron lung. He's put into this iron lung where he's resuscitated until he can breathe by himself and regains some level of consciousness. But he's got polio. And slowly but surely, his body starts to become paralyzed. And because of the shortage of beds in the hospital, these kids are small, so they can't afford a bed per kid. So they had this warehouse converted into a ward where they had shelves, and they stacked the children on the shelves. Now the problem was his mother lived a day's journey away and she could only come visit him once a week. So for days and days and days, his, this little child, only memories of two and a half years of normality, stuck in a shelf. Eventually he's moved on to a sanatorium, a small kind of recovery hospital in Yerushalayim, in a place called San Simon. And he's in bed, he's bedridden the whole day. And the worst day, is Shabbos. Because on Shabbos, all the other patients in the ward, all the 
no one's got work, they all get their visitors. And they're not from, and they poke fun at him, and he has to endure the pain, because he can't move. So everyone like, laughs at him, as they look at that little boy, his parents have forgotten about him, they've deserted him, and every word penetrates him like a knife. And he says, one Shabbos, he came up, with a, he still had limited movement, he came up with an idea and a tactic that transformed him for his entire lifetime. <coughs> he realized that he could take the covers of the bed and pull them over his head. And when the other guests that came to visit the other children in the hospital couldn't see him, he was just this mound of blankets, no one commented. And then he said, on those Shabbos afternoons, while he was under the covers, he started to dream. He started to imagine what he would be like when he could walk. And he resolved. And he said, Arla, you're not going to be a cripple for your life. You're going to learn to walk. You're going to learn to run and play with your brothers. You're going to be there hugging your mother. And for a hundred afternoons, week after week, he built these thoughts, and he built these thoughts, and from those thoughts, he built his life. Because what happened is, slowly but surely, his mother would come, she had massaged his limbs, and slowly, slowly, he managed to gain a little bit of movement in one limb, and then another limb. Eventually, he was discharged from the hospital, and his mother would take him, she had massaged his feet every 15 minutes until he was able to take a few teetering steps, until he could walk through excruciating pain, until he could return to some kind of normal life. And he returned back to this San Simon, I think it was 30 years later, and he met an old caretaker. He said, is there anyone there who was there 30 years ago? He bumps into the old caretaker, and the caretaker said, I've been here for 30 years. He said, do you remember me? He says, what do you mean do I remember you? He says, I used to be on, in that bed. Okay, take a laughed. He said, no one, no one got out of this ward. People here for life. And he started to describe the details of the ward 30 years ago. And the caretaker's mouth dropped. He said, that's impossible. And he says, the reason why he made that, he was able to make the change, is because he dreamed about a different kind of life. If he would have covered his head on those Shabbos afternoons and felt, fell into a depression and thought, I'm never going to get out of here, this is never going to change, he would have been there for the rest of his life. Shemihira Bachuva means, unless we can think about, we're crippled. We're all crippled. Do we experience the love of Hashem that the Rambam's talking about? Not really. We're crippled in terms of our midas, we're crippled in terms of our veils, we're crippled. In but that's fine. It's fine to be crippled. You can be a Rosh Hashanah. But the question is, at some point in time, we have to pull the covers over our heads and we have to dream about a different kind of life. You know, we've all had times in our life where we felt that connection. It's a, maybe it was a Shemone maybe it was at the Kaisal, maybe it was on a Yom Tov, maybe it was an emotional moment where you feel that the, the, all the mechitzas, all the boundaries between you and Hashem are just dissolved. That's what we're trying to get to. That's what Shiva is taking us. 
And that's what we have to dream of. Now, once you have that dream, then there's a lot of hard work that's involved. To get those paralyzed limbs up and running takes work. But if you keep that dream in your mind and you yearn for it, so then it will happen. And that's a Shema here at Bechuvah. I feel a Rosh Gomu. He's a Mekodeshis. Because the seeds of Tzidkus, of being a Tzaddik, were planted in that thought, in that imagination. Let's go on to the Rambam. I want you, there's another Rambam over here, on the other side of the page. The Rambam says, now we're going on to Halacha Dalad. At the bottom of, in Perikshani, the bottom of the page, Halacha Dalad. Some of this Halacha has been shrouded in darkness, so you're going to have to navigate. I think we should be pretty much okay, even though the middle of the page is kind of challenging. Um, says the Rambam, Midarkei HaTshuva The ways of tshuva. The Rambam is describing what is a person when he's doing tshuva. What type of things does a person do for tshuva? Midarkei HaTshuva Liyais HaShav Tsoyek Tomid The person who's doing tshuva should be crying out. I'll, I'll read it through the whole halach and then we'll go back and we'll focus on points. He should be crying out, shouting, literally, with tears and with supplications. He should do, give charity according to his means. And he should distance himself a lot from the area where he failed. And he should change his name. Someone else. I'm not the same person that did those deeds. He should change his, his deeds all for the good. To the right way. He should leave his going to God, exile himself. He should leave the place where he lives. She goes to Mechaperes because when a person goes and leaves his hometown and his, the comfort of his familiar environment, it, it's a kapara. Mechaperes oven mipnei she goremes lo lichonelios onav shofel ruach because when a person leaves his home and he loses his external anchors of identity, he becomes much more humble and it's much easier for him to, to do tshuva. That's a Rambam. I want, to, I want to go through these points and focus initially um, on one of the points and then go back to the others. Essentially, the Rambam over here discusses six different kinds of things. There's six categories in the Salaka. Yeah. Sorry, just a quick question. When does all the tzedakah, does that mean you should do righteous or you should give tzedakah? It means give tzedakah, money. Okay? So, the Six things over here. The first thing that the Rambam talks about is tzedakah, which is tefillah. The second thing is tzedakah, which is how you use your money. The third thing is rechuk minachet. You have to distance yourself from the place where you, where you struggled. Shina Hashem, you have to change your name. You have to change your actions. And you have to change your place. The last three are all changes. I want to start with the Shina Hashem, changing your name. Changing your name is a very interesting thing. Now, the Rambam clearly doesn't mean literally that you have to change your name. It means something else. The name is your identity. It means you have to shift your identity. Now, there's something which is a very 
subtle thing that we get caught up and it brings a lot, a lot of, a lot of bad, bad under, miscomprehensions, mis, mis, misunderstandings with regard to tshuva, and that's the inability to differentiate between guilt and regret. Regret is called chayrata. It's something which is looked upon as a, one of the essential components of tshuva. And there's something called guilt which has no place whatsoever in the realm of tshuva. None. Guilt is negative. Guilt is destructive. And I would like to describe to you how guilt is destructive and how charata is productive and how that ties in to shina shame, Changing your name. Start with guilt. When a person feel gu- feels guilty, it's based on a certain mechanism. What happens? When you feel guilty, you think about what? Something you've done in the past. You've done something in the past and you think, okay, what, what, I spoke, there's a person and I shouldn't have said it and I said it to her and she was really offended and now I feel terrible, I feel so guilty. In other words, what do you do? You look at an event in the past and you take that event and you use it to inform on the present. I did something bad in the past. That deed that I did describes my present. If I did something bad in the past, I feel lousy, horrible, bad about myself in the present. And then there's a consequence to that. Since I feel bad about myself in the present, I project and I feel bad about myself in the future. So what guilt does is it depresses a person's sense of self by saying, you did something bad in the, in the past, you are bad in the present, you are in, inherently lacking, therefore you'll be bad in the future. So guilt is no good matter. Guilt comes from, it's a tolda, it's a, it's a subcategory of a midah which is called atzvus, which is called atzlus, which comes directly from the side which is not kedusha. It's a terrible thing. Sorry? Atzlus is laziness, inactivity, it's a, it's a negative trait. Okay, so that's, that's guilt. Now, if you feel guilty about something, the chances are you'll do that thing again. Because you've just disempowered yourself. You said, I was bad in the past, I'm bad in the present, and therefore you've relinquished yourself to the hold of that Avera. And you're saying, that Avera controls me, I don't control it. And therefore you'll do it in the present and you'll do it in the future. So ironically, not only will guilt make us feel terrible about ourselves, but it won't do anything productive for us either. Either we'll slip into depression, but we'll definitely repeat the pattern again and again and again. So guilt is something that you want to run away from like fire, like a wild leopard in the jungle. It's not good. Because what happens is you, 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 you lose faith in yourself because you look at the, what happened in the past and you say, oh my gosh, I'm just such a lousy, stupid individual. I always say these horrible things. So when you say, I always say these horrible things, you're defining yourself as a sayer of horrible things. So now you've just said what you do. You're the person who says horrible things. So you're going to do it in the future again because you've defined yourself. Okay? So now, how does that compare with regret? Charata. Charot is a wonderful thing. What's the difference? Both of them refer to an event in the past. 
Both of them describe a state in the present and both of them describe a relationship to what's going to happen in the future. But they're very different. With Charata, you look at the past and instead of using the past to tell you about the present, you use the present to tell you about the past. This is how it works. You spoke badly about a person. You can't believe you did it. You say to yourself as follows. In the present, I realize, I see my miners. I see that I care enough. If I wouldn't care, then I wouldn't be disturbed by what I'd said. The fact that I care means I don't want to be that. Why don't I want to be that? Because I'm above that. Because that's not me. That's not a description of what who I am. That's the lower part of myself. That's called the Yetzer which has been ma'anes me. The Yetzer which has forced me, which has coerced me to behave in a way which is fundamentally different to the way I am. The regret is when you look back and you go, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. That's not something that I would do. The classic example of regret is you, you, you're given an exam, a test paper to write. And it's a crucial test paper. All your year's marks depend on it. And you're very confident about the exam. And you write the paper. And you finish it in half the time that everyone else finishes it. And you're so happy, handing the paper and off you go and you can't get it back. And as you go out the, you wait for an hour, everyone else comes out an hour later. You're chatting to them and they start speaking about questions. And you say, well, I didn't see that question. I didn't see the question. And then you realize two of the papers may have been like stuck together. And you didn't separate them. And you go, Oh, oh, that's called regret. You don't feel bad about yourself. You feel, I just wish I could turn the clock back. I can't believe I did that. That was so not me. I normally go, <laughs> Do you understand? That's regret. That's regret. Regret means I wish I could turn the clock back because it wasn't me. If I would be in that situation again, I would never ever make that mistake. So what regret does is it looks back at the past and says, that act is not connected to me. That act is not what I'm like. I don't do those kind of things. In other words, regret comes from a sense of solidity in the present. I know my mind is. I know how Khoshev I am. And therefore that, that act is not connected. That doesn't express who I am. That's called Shuva. Shiva can only come from a strong sense of self-esteem when a person values himself. Otherwise you can't do Shiva. Because Shiva is a disconnection of the act from myself. That's called Mishane Shmoy. That's called changing your name. What does the Rambam say? He says, Mishane Shmoy. Kloimar, Ani Acher, I'm not that, I'm someone else. I'm not the person that did those. There was a state of temporary madness. There was a state of sheer and utter, I don't know what it was, but that's not me. So what charata means is you relate to the deeper, higher part of yourself, and then in the future, you'll never make that mistake again. Because the pain of the fact that you made the mistake in the future and you realize it's below you, it's not appropriate, pushes you forward in the future not to make the mistake again. That's one of the crucial points and I believe that's something which people get there completely confused about. Guilt is bad, charot is fantastic. Guilt comes from feeling bad about what you did and reinforcing those feelings. Charot comes from distancing yourself by realizing those actions aren't you. Those actions aren't you, and you have to be misbrained and think, contemplate inside yourself, and appreciate your mindless, and see that when a person does anything, there's a chazoka gemurah. We have an absolute assumption that the core of our beings, elokain shamashinos to be tohayrahi. When we go deep enough, you realize that any bad thing you did actually wasn't an effect of your real self. 
And therefore what shiva becomes is a connecting to a deeper sense of self which is pure, which is kind, which is considerate, which is an anav, which is a gibber, which is all the minors. And the way you see that is by measuring the distance between those minors and all these acts and you say, those things are not what I want my life to be. Those things don't express who I am. Those things are far, far, far away from me. And that's called shiva. But that shiva is so empowering. Oh my gosh, it's so liberating. And then you go to Yom Kippur and Yom Kippur is a celebration. Because Yom Kippur is a regaining of self. Instead of being distorted by all these false images that you told this and you convince yourself, that's not what you are at all. You are pure. And that's why on, Rosh, on Yom Kippur we behave like Malachim. Because we relate to the part of ourself which is the essence, which is a Malach. No tzadra bichlal, no bad, no purity. That's why we wear white, we're pure. That's what we are. Anything which appears to be a sullying of our pure, pure white inner essence is a misconception. It's not real. And that's what we're trying to achieve, and that's what we're trying to. Now, what happens then, look what the Rambam says. So once you've changed your name, which means once you've re-established your identity and you've understood that the actions that you've did, that you did in the past are not part of you, they don't express you, so what happens? The next thing is, you have to, re- you have to change your identity and then... And then your actions will change. Because once you realize that you're a different person, then you'll start to behave differently. And once you realize that, the last part of the Rambam is interesting. He says, you can go away, go away from the places which reinforce. I don't know if you had this experience. Maybe you've even had a touch of this experience. When you move from, your, all, all of you have come from Chutzlaret and you come to Israel. It's almost like you feel you have a chance to redefine who you are. The people around you are necessarily people you know. You've got a new shot at establishing an identity. And often people, when they want to change... They'll leave the place where they were because when you leave the place where you are, you don't have that people imposing an identity on yourself. You've got the freedom to change. So on this Yom Kippur specifically, when you're leaving, you have all been you've, you've gone into Golis essentially. You've come to a different place. There's even more of a window for redefinition of self. To completely and totally change our names and that's the goal and that's the direction of Yom Kippur. And that direction can happen in a moment of sincerity. And that's the Hira B'tshuva. But that Hira B'tshuva then leads to this when it's consistent, when it's strong, with the help of the Abishta, will lead us to the Tshuva Gemurah that we're trying to achieve. Gemachasimah Toyev to all of you.